0: The language of Job is really, really unique. Every chapter has about 10 words that never occur anywhere else in the history of the Hebrew language. My pastor didn't tell me that it was actually one of the latest books written. Laysa, may have a bit more? And more is spelled M-O-A-H, or sa is spelled S-U-H, you know. Sa spelled S-I-R, like, you know, standard English, we spell it as S-I-R. And that's really how Job is written. It's kind of like uh, this takes place in a galaxy far away at a time long, long ago. And these people all talk funny. At the beginning of Job, he is like super perfect. Everything about him is so perfect. You know, he's like, it's just like, I'm making all these extra sacrifices just in case my kids sin, you know? Why do you always have to look for some little sin that we do? Why do you have to care so much about what we're doing down here? when you've got all of creation to think about.
1: Hey everyone, this is What Your Pastor Didn't Tell You. Today I'm talking to Ryan Armstrong on the book of Job. We're gonna be talking about authorship, dating, whether it's historical and peculiar things that the book of Job uses from Genesis. Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, say hi, and um, what we're doing today? Yeah, sure thing, Zach, or do you pronounce it Zach? (laughs) that's a first
0: we'll go with (laughs) Zach okay uh yeah sure thing my name is uh Ryan M Armstrong uh I grew up in the Seattle area actually I was born in San Diego and moved around a lot and Seattle feels most like home and uh did um my undergrad was communication and pre-law I was gonna go to law school and then all of a sudden, senior year completely changed direction and just uh, wanted to study more. And I almost got a, another degree in philosophy or history and finally just decided to get an MDiv. So I did a Master's of Divinity at Southeastern Seminary in North Carolina, then a THM in New Testament there. And then I did another Master's degree in Hebrew, uh, Hebrew Bible and Ancient Near East at Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And from there, I ended up uh, going to Princeton Seminary for my PhD, uh, which I am walking in two weeks. So just defended the dissertation and uh, just became Dr. Armstrong. So it's pretty exciting. So that's my background. I wrote my dissertation on the book of Job. Uh, I wrote on mediation in the book of Job. And um, it's been really, really fun. I really fell in love with the project. I'm really looking forward to uh, i started a youtube channel where i just couldn't stop talking about talking about the book of job talking about my research um just kind of creating these outlets for it and and right now i'm i'm editing it for for publication hoping to submit it for publication
1: maybe within the by the end of the month so hopefully that's going to be coming out at some point awesome yeah no i'm not, i'm really excited for your channel and what you're what you're bringing to the table because there really isn't a lot of focus on job um i mean you get like you know the general overview but like nobody's really you know make much of an effort to like talk about all the intricacies intricacies of it i mean it's a it's a pretty complicated book so
0: thank you so much yeah it's very complicated yeah and um i'm gonna be uh i had to take a little hiatus from youtube for just a couple months um i got married uh two weeks ago uh so that was the um we did a kind of a, a shotgun covid wedding and then the official ceremony is going to be a few months from now but we're starting her uh immigration process she's from brazil so we got married really quick to start the immigration process uh so that happened and then you know revising my dissertation the final submission is on tuesday for that and i'll be walking next in uh two weeks and then i'm trying to submit it for publication so i had to step back from youtube focus a little bit on on life and adjusting to married life and uh, a little bit of academic stuff. And I also want to work a little bit on content and get ahead of the content a little bit. It was really hard to do that on top of everything. So I want to get a little bit ahead of the content so I can release videos more consistently. So shooting for uh, August or September to, to come back onto YouTube with um, I'll probably start with more introductory stuff, maybe hermeneutics, how to approach the Bible uh and then i'll talk a little bit more about the book of job and how we interpret it and then i'll do some more theme videos like like i have been
1: awesome yeah link will be in the description everyone should go check them out um so on the book of job uh when would when would you say it's written that's a great question uh so uh seems like most
0: scholars today say that it was written in the persian period Uh, Which is, you know, maybe the the time of the exile or just after the exile, just after they come back from the exile, um, which would make it one of the latest books written, which is kind of reverse of what uh, I grew up hearing in the church, uh, which uh, my pastor didn't tell me that it was actually one of the latest books written. So, uh, and this is, and there's actually a, a very good reason that people think that it was written early. Uh, The first is that the style of it, the way that it's presented, it feels like you're reading Genesis, like the way Job is described with all of his herds and all this stuff. It sounds like this kind of nomad from that time period. The poems of it, it sounds like these ancient poems from uh, like the Pentateuch, like the earliest written poems, you know, Judges 5, like this kind of like hard to understand, this kind of, you're reading Shakespeare. You know, it's like this, uh, like for us today, we feel like we're reading Shakespeare, like such this, this kind of weird language. And um, and so the book is really written to sound like it took took place back at the time of Abraham and even Job's lifespan. It's, you know, hundreds of years. It's like the olden days when everybody used to live, uh, you know, outlive everyone and stuff like that. So there was so it's kind of written to to sound like it takes place from that period. And uh, there's actually a rich tradition that Moses wrote the book of Job, uh, both Jews and Christians throughout history have said that uh moses wrote the book of job and this is a really rich tradition goes back a long way some people think that there's kind of um a little bit of a, a harmonizing motivation in there too that job is so skeptical of so much uh theology and so much of what we want to say um the bible teaches so there's a rich tradition that Moses wrote the book of Job, and uh, some scholars actually wrote a read a, a pretty good article recently arguing that there's kind of a harmonizing motivation in there. Job is so skeptical of so much theology, and when you say that Moses actually wrote the book, then you have to say, wow, okay, so it can't be contradicting the Pentateuch, and it has to be, you know, it's written by the same guy that wrote the Pentateuch, and um, and so it's kind of like... A little bit of uh, uh, extra protection there against people who might take Job too far or you know go too far against orthodoxy with Job because uh, Job is hard to swallow for uh, for a lot of theologians it's, um, it's it doesn't pull any punches right uh, so you're asking about dating uh, I'll give you a little evidence yeah. for why it's Persian period so um it, the way it describes the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans specifically it sounds a lot more like sixth century. The, the Chaldeans, they, the way they attack, uh, they're not really like farmers or nomads, they're, they're, they're kind of more, um, the way that they're described is, 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 it sounds a lot like sixth century. A lot of the place names are kind of more sixth century. Um, there's a few other uh, little clues too. The, um, one is the use of Jeremiah. Uh, so Ed Greenstein wrote an article that um, arguing that Jeremiah was an inspiration for Job. Jeremiah is another righteous sufferer and Jeremiah a lot of the things that Jeremiah says, job kind of um, repeats and when you're kind of looking at which one is first, that's always a big question um, but uh, Greenstein argues that there's a, a couple of ways that you can kind of tell which text is is basing it, which text is based on which, and one is like, which one seems a little more exaggerated or uh, the language is a little more jarring. Well, okay, let's just talk about uh, what actually happened. So in chapter three, Job three, he cursed the day of his birth and it's very close to Jeremiah cursing the day of his birth in chapter 20. And so Jeremiah says, uh, I curse the day of my birth and, you know, and, and Job is very exaggerated, more exaggerated than Jeremiah. And so you could say, well, okay, maybe maybe uh, uh, Jeremiah was taking Job and then trying to kind of calm it down a little bit. But the thing is, Jeremiah already seems exaggerated. Jeremiah is like, I cursed the day of my birth. And I hope that the man who announced to my dad, you have a son. I hope that he ends up like the nations that God destroys. Like, it's like, I want everything destroyed from that day. I want my mother, you know, like all this stuff about the day of his birth and the super duper curse against the day of his birth. And then Job takes that and goes even farther than Jeremiah. And Job's like, I want to curse the day of my birth and I want to wipe it out from memory. And then I want to go back in the day that I was conceived. I want that day completely erased from all of history. And then, I, you know, he like, goes even further than Jeremiah. So it seems like Jeremiah was probably first. Jeremiah's already going. Jeremiah took it another level and the job's like let's see how far we can take this. Boom, hyperdrive and just went even further than Jeremiah. So and it's not just uh Job 3 but several other places where it seems like Job is pulling from Jeremiah and uh really influenced a lot by Jeremiah and like Jer- like suing God. Jeremiah talks about suing God and Jeremiah is like, you know, this is crazy. I got to sue God and the Job goes even beyond that. Job's like I need to sue God, and I need a judge that can say, God, you're wrong, and Job, you're right. Like He just like goes really crazy with suing God. So all these things, it seems like Jeremiah was first before Job. So Job was probably towards the end of the exile or maybe just after the exile. There's one other thing, too, that's really um, juicy. It's that at the end of the book, when God restores Job's uh, fortunes, I think it says in English, God restored the fortunes of Job. Uh, this is the only time that phrase is used of a human is Shuvashvit or uh Shavashvit in Hebrew, and so Shuvashvit, I think, in some places, but anyway, Shuvashvit in Hebrew. And so, when um, it's it probably the, the etymology originally meant restore from captivity or re- restore the captivity of, and it's used of nations everywhere else in the book, and it's used uh consistently of restoration from exile of Israel. And so at the end of the book, it's like this kind of little like let's let's toss this out. And if you're reading the if you're reading the Hebrew Bible, you read the story of Israel and the Israelites, and you know this happens to them, this happens, this all of God's people, and then stop. Meanwhile, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, there lived this man in the land of Oots that you know, we don't even know where it is. It's somewhere out there in the desert somewhere. And this stuff happens. It has nothing to do with Israel or anything. And then at the end, it's like, and now back to our regular programming. So it's like the whole book of Job, it kind of takes place in this faraway land. has nothing to do with Israel. And then at the end, there's this little, little, like, like, remember the exile? Remember how much you guys suffered Israel? Well, God's restored Job the exact same way. So there's kind of like a little uh, uh, and I don't want to read into it too much, but it does seem like there's a little bit of a of a, what's the word, like a reference to the exile or kind of a little, and which is also a phrase that the Jeremiah uses a lot, the Shuvah Shvit, the restoration from exile, looking forward to, to the restoration.
1: That's so fascinating. Wow. Okay. Um, so, I mean, so would you say that, you know, I guess one of the questions when you when you date a text, <clears throat> specifically like with something like Genesis is you have some things where people be like, OK, this is definitely older. And then you have other things where it's like, OK, that's that's definitely younger. And then, you know, some people will be like, OK, well, the text must be completely young. And then those other people, the people that think it's an older text would be like, oh, that that was just like an edit. And then the rest of it's old. So like, how do you differentiate that with the book of Job?
0: That's a, that's a great question, actually. Um, and there's, um, this is always an issue. Uh, it's always, you know, when, um, like when a text is written. Um, so actually my wife, uh, my, my new bride, she pointed out the similarities between the Hamilton the Musical and the Book of Job. Uh, Hamilton, it's uh, uh, about this historic figure from 200 years ago and it's uh you know uh, about like kind of this really trying to present this story that you know a lot of us know or we can find it in a history book or whatever uh and then it tells the whole thing as a hip-hop musical and so um with job it's very similar actually like there's kind of this ancient legend about Job, uh which uh maybe i'll talk about it in a little bit but um they they kind of rewrote the story as a hip-hop musical and so with Hamilton, you know, the it's not really trying to sound like or trying to trick anybody or make anybody think like uh, this is a this is a document that we found from the the founding fathers of America, and you know they they talked in these rap battles the whole time. You know, it's it's not like trying to trick anybody. It's kind of like there's a lot of modern day stuff that's mixed in, uh, but it's also really not trying to. Um, uh rewrite history or anything like that like it's it's trying it's true to history but it's in a genre format that uh that modern day people can can relate to and understand and that's really how the book of job is written and uh, with any text you know we're always trying to ask like how how long after the events or how long after the setting was it written was it 10 years or was it 200 years afterward uh so that's always going to be a be a question you know uh shakespeare wrote on julius Caesar uh 1500 years after after julius caesar lived um so there's always kinds of these questions about um dating it's that's always going to be a question and an issue but um but with with job it seems like there's enough in there where uh where we're probably not really where it's probably not really trying to trying to sound like it's it was written really early uh, it doesn't really, I don't really get the feeling that it's trying to, um, in, in fact, the, uh, in chapter 19, Job references the Bissetun inscription. He talks about how, like, man, I just wish my words would be written down in a book, and not just that. I wish they were engraved into a rock and then filled with an iron stylus and then filled with lead, and then they would last forever. And we really only have one inscription that's like this, and it was written during the Persian period. Uh, So, you know, maybe others existed at some point or whatever, but the only one that we really have found is this huge Persian uh, inscription from Darius the Great that was written just like this. And so Job is like, man, I want this amazing pillar to be erected that that will last forever. And Darius just did that like a couple years before it was written. Probably he did this amazing pillar that's inscribed in lead and stylus, iron stylus, and it has lasted forever. It's still standing today. And so. You can go see it today so it's kind of this um so it seems like it's it's there's all these like kind of winks to the audience if you will where like you know like yeah it was we we're talking about this ancient time but the way they talk it, it 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 makes sense to modern day audiences that said the language of job is really really unique uh and every chapter has about 10 words that never occur anywhere else in the history of the hebrew language it's just really, really unique. And the whole thing is written in like we call it memis, mimesis or um, uh, maybe I dialect is kind of a more like um, uh, more colloquial way of saying, where you kind of um, like the way Mark Twain writes, you know, like things are misspelled and these, these words don't, aren't, aren't part of the English language, but he's writing to try to mimic the dialect of the South at the time or the way Charles Dickens writes, you know? Um, where uh, when characters talk, they, they say things like, um, "placer may I have a bit more? And more is spelled M-O-A-H, or "sir" uh, is spelled S-U-H, you know? It's not spelled S-I-R, like, you know, standard English, we spell it as S-I-R. And that's really how Job is written. It's kind of like, uh, this takes place in a galaxy far away, and a time long, long ago, and these people all talk funny, And it's like there's a lot of uh, Aramaic thrown in and a lot of scholars would argue that Arabic and Akkadian is thrown in too. that. There's kind of this this mix of all these other language influence in in Job. And the other thing with Job is that it's not consistent. The dialect is not consistent. So if it was uh, like an actual dialect, like I would probably be saying the same things in the same way consistently. But in Job, you have some words that are written in Aramaic and but uh, used with Hebrew morphemes. So, like if I said, uh, so like if if I was writing about people in Mexico and I said, yeah, he told he said to the other guy, no, Senor, you are very stupido or whatever, you know, trying to use these Spanish words and Spanish morphemes to make just to recreate the, the this kind of like foreign environment or whatever. So job is written like this with a lot of aramaisms thrown in but like kind of a mix of hebrew and it's not consistent so and sometimes it's like an aramaic word with hebrew hebrew morphemes and other places it's a hebrew word with aramaic morphemes sometimes it's the same word or even the same like uh but it's just switched around in different ways so it's not really a consistent dialect and it seems like it's kind of a lot of it is used to fuel poetry there's a lot of word plays there's a lot of like if something means something in aramaic the author's like, oh, that's the opposite of what it means in Hebrew. I'm using that, you know, so there's a lot of like fun little plays with the poetry like that with Job. So it seems like it's it's we want to we want to come to these ancient poems. We want to come to these poems. We want to say, oh, this language is so foreign. It must be super ancient. But really, in a lot of ways, it's kind of more serving. It is intended to sound ancient, but it really isn't. It's kind of more serving the poetry
1: of the book. Hmm. Wow. OK. That's not the turn I expected. No, I mean, when I, when I first think of that, I think of if, if there's certain parts of the book are written in a certain way, and then, <clears throat> then the rest is written written different in a different way, a different way and, then, and then so on, and there's all different, different places like that. My first thought would be, okay, maybe different authors or editors or, um, or something like that, but you think it's, it's on purpose to try to imitate a different time period
0: yeah i do yeah i i wouldn't say that there were no editors or no secondary authors involved um like i don't uh, i i don't need to i don't uh, i don't make a, a hard stance on that one way or the other i think that um uh yeah there could there could very well have been multiple authors involved but the language of it it's it's not reflecting a specific dialect and i think because it's such a different unique dialect and it's unique all the way through all of the poems are very unique and they all have all these these coined phrases these coined words these these nonsense words that that the author forms as as he's writing these these poems and it seems like the 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 style and the methodology is the same throughout that even if there's other authors coming in they're using these same Ways of coining new phrases and coining new words, and the same way of like kind of putting together this this similar eye dialect. So uh, it seems like it's more of a method uh, than it would be uh, an accidental. You know, different authors spoke in different ways or or used different had different words. It seems like it's the book of job is just more different than any the language is more different than any other book in the bible to the point where it's like okay this is
1: this is intentionally different wow very fascinating okay so if the writer is trying to portray itself as or the book is trying to portray itself as writing or something that happened in the past but this person is writing in a certain time period way after that. Um doesn't that hurt our ability to um trust other books of the Bible? Because like if if this book is I mean I w I don't want to say lying, but giving a different impression impression than it actually says it is, then like what does it say about our ability to analyze the text in other parts of the Bible?
0: Wow, that's a that's a really good question. Um yeah. So this is, um, I think this goes back to a, uh, this kind of is a a hermeneutical question in some ways. Um, And part of it is, uh, yeah, let me say that like the way that I interpret the Bible uh, is kind of like, let me rephrase. So, uh, I think, I think part of it depends on our goal as biblical interpreters. Um, so you raise a a really good question, which is historically the historical question of like, when were these books written, uh, and are, are they more trustworthy if they're closer to the time period or are they less trustworthy if they're later than the time period? Like these are all historical questions and apologetical questions and, um, And I think the uh, like for me and my goal, like I'm really interested in in the Bible itself. And um, and so uh, I guess my my favorite analogy is uh, the movie Braveheart. Like if you want to learn about William Wallace, you're going to go to the library and you're going to research William Wallace. You're going to go to Scotland and you're going to see where he rode on his horse or whatever, you know. Uh, but, uh, if you want to understand the movie Braveheart, you're going to watch the movie Braveheart and you're going to learn about the movie Braveheart. And so with, um, uh, Mel Gibson, he, you know, he didn't, his goal was not to tell the entire story of William Wallace. He just, you know, uh, let's just, uh, let's just kind of sum up for t- two hours of it, you know, let's just cut out all this other stuff. We'll sum it up for two hours. And in fact, Mel Gibson was like, okay, there's too much let's just say that freedom is the most important virtue it's worth dying for and then let's take the story of william wallace and let's just kind of like put it together in a way that tells this this message that freedom is worth dying for and that's really similar to the way john talks about uh writing history of jesus john says if i wanted to tell you all about jesus I would fill the whole world with books about all that Jesus did and said and all that, you know, all the miracles that Jesus did. But I wrote this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So there's kind of this uh, hermeneutical question of like, uh, is the Bible really just trying to tell history or is it trying to do something more than that? And it seems to me that that most of the Bible is written like like John is most of the Bible is written in a way to try to um, communicate these messages and communicate these. It's it, when it does tell story, this isn't, you know, saying that it's uh, trying to rewrite history or contradict history or or anything like that. And uh, but it, it's it is trying to say, here's the point from the history, you know, here's the point of the story. Uh, with the, the Pentateuch, too, you see this all the time. And I think you've had a lot of um, a lot of people recently talking about this with uh, the creation accounts and just, you know, like, is it really trying to just tell word for word what happened historically? Or is it really trying to say something about uh, humans dwelling in the land or or things like this? God setting up uh, God's relationship with humans. Uh, what is the point of, of of Genesis one and two, one through three? so this is um uh so so your question is is really a good question in terms of like does this make it less trustworthy uh if if job is written way after uh, does it make it less trustworthy and I, obviously you know the 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 historic, historicity is important and the historical questions are very important uh the book of ruth there's a big debate about ruth whether ruth is written uh after the exile or rather ruth was written before the exile and if it's before the exile it's it's saying know the davidic line is there's still hope for the davidic line let's let's keep looking forward and if it's written after the exile it's like don't give up on the davidic line you know or maybe let's reinterpret the davidic line maybe it's open to 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 more than just jews maybe there's there's jews and gentiles that that should be a part of the covenant community or you know things like this so um uh, some people even say that the Book of Ruth was written as a polemic against the Davidic line. That no, look, he's got a Moabite in his lineage, you know. So, uh, so we ha- we're always going to have these these debates about like why is these why were these books written and uh, the historical question, who is the audience? Those are all very important, and the apologetic question also of how reliable are they historically? Um, those are always going to be be the case, but I don't think that with Job or when we acknowledge that these books are written after the fact and they are written to kind of uh, spin the history in a certain way, I don't think that we're necessarily saying that it's less trustworthy. I think we're, we're just saying that this is really kind of what the text communicates. And it may not be trying to be, you know, a history book. Like, I don't think Job is really trying to teach us a history lesson. I think that Job has a lot of theology to teach us.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, on that topic, if we are sorry, yeah, so on that topic, um, do you think the book of Job is historical in any way? Yeah, so this is actually the number one question. Can you hear me?
0: I can. This is actually the number one question that I get asked by Jewish people. Uh, in the Talmud, there's a huge debate about whether or not Job is a real person. Because there, you know, some people are like, God would never actually do this to a human being. Like, there's just no way. This is just a hypothetical that this is just so horrible. And uh, so there's a big debate about whether or not Job is is a historical person. Uh, Then, um, yeah there's also you know some some people say well job probably did sin really bad earlier on or something like this and it's like comeuppance for for other things job was against the jewish people there's all kinds of theories you know of like the historically trying to ex- explain like how this could happen if it's if it is historical so um for for uh the evidence that we have is there's uh, a little bit of evidence in Ezekiel, uh, in Ezekiel 14, where it talks about Job and Noah and, uh, Dan-El. and These It says these three people are so righteous. So it's about um, God's going to destroy, uh, I believe it's Jerusalem that God's going to destroy. Yeah, God's going to destroy Jerusalem. And um, so it says Jerusalem is so bad. They're so sinful that even if we had the righteousness of noah and daniel and job even those three men couldn't save it there it's so evil it's so sinful that you know they're not even righteous enough to save jerusalem in fact jerusalem is so bad they couldn't even save their kids and that's really all ezekiel says it's like this ancient legend and for a long time we didn't know like why is ezekiel talking about daniel like before daniel was written or you know, like was Daniel that famous at the time of Ezekiel? You know, like it, it makes no sense. And I think most of uh, the Hebrew manuscripts uh, they they pronounce that they they point it, they give it the vocalization of Daniel, uh, just like Daniel, just like um, the book of Daniel. But uh, in the 1920s, we found all these Ugaritic texts that we had never really seen before. So there's this other language really close to Hebrew uh geographically really close to israel we found all these other ancient texts and so we found a story of a guy named dan l who is super duper righteous and his kid is in danger and his kid actually dies and he goes on this quest to get his kid's body and then he finds his kid's body and he's like oh yes okay and now i'm gonna make all these sacrifices to the gods i'm so super righteous and then the text just cuts off right there we don't have the end of the story but we surmise based on what Ezekiel's saying Noah and job are two super righteous people and their kids are in danger uh, Daniel, also super righteous his kids are in danger so the theory is maybe Daniel saved his kids at the end and maybe in the legends of these three great righteous people everybody knew it you know this is the Persian period everybody knew these ancient legends uh, they knew the stories of in the sea monster you know all the the creation stories uh, they knew all these Akkadian legends and so uh, at the time they probably knew of these three righteous men Noah and Job and Daniel that their kids were in danger but they were so righteous they they maybe they saved their kids or some something about their kids in danger at least. so it seems like there was a legend of Job in the Persian period and a legend of job that kind of was lasted for a long time. And, you know, this is a little bit inference, but but it seems like we don't have a lot of we don't have a lot of uh, we have a very small corpus to work with. And so with with Ezekiel and then with with the the legend of Donnell and Noah and Job, it seems like this probably was a a legend kind of floating around. So it could be like uh, um, a legend of it could be a real person you know i think there's a bunch of debates about whether or not robin hood was a real person or is it just a legend that we that we tell people and i think job is kind of like that like you know maybe there was a historical job maybe there was a real person maybe he was righteous and he suffered or whatever but um the the book of job is kind of uh, it kind of takes this ancient legend that everybody knew and then makes a hip-hop musical out of it and so let's let's and in the book of Job, you know, everybody talks in this amazing, eloquent poetry with all these wordplay and stuff. And in order to, to do this, you got to sit down and write this poem for weeks. You know, like I, they probably weren't just like saying these poems off the cuff if, if it's a historical account. So whoever took it, they, they had to rewrite it anyway. They had to rewrite it into, into poetry and, and rewrite it into a musical in any case. So even if it's totally historical, like it's probably not a word for word quote of everything that they were saying. Um, so they probably took this ancient legend and then reformulated it into the hip hop musical that we love and enjoy today.
1: Yeah, uh, kind of on the topic. So uh, one of the papers you showed me, it mentions how the, the numbers of the flocks and Job's family and kids and all that were super weird uh popular numbers and my first thought is like oh all right that doesn't that's interesting you know it says seven sons three daughters were born to him his possessions include 7000 sheep 3000 camels 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys uh obviously you've studied this a lot um do you have any thoughts on what exactly the purpose of that is and meaning or or is it or do you act, or do you think it's you know the actual number of livestock and all that
0: yeah yeah good so that's a that's a great point and that's that really goes into the the historicity of it it seems like these numbers are just the beginning of job he is like super perfect everything about him is so perfect you know he's like it's just like i'm making all these extra sacrifices just in case my kids sin you know he's just like I've got all, all this wealth and it's perfectly 703 and you know kids are 7 and 3s it's everything is like these like perfect numbers and everything about Job is just like it's like super pristine and then we and then we go to the the scene and the behind the scenes in heaven and and God's like you see how perfect everything is with Job you know and and the Satan's like oh yeah I see that yeah uh-huh. It's cause you bless him so much. And so there's it's like it really seems like everything is really setting Job up. And uh almost it's like a little bit um it's too perfect. Like a lot of scholars say that it's hard to even relate to Job at the at in the prologue, you know? It's like He's super rich, which everybody loves to hate. Rich people, anyway. Like, no matter what culture you're in, we all love to hate rich people. You know. So he's super rich, and he's super righteous. It's like uh, almost feels like he's lawful evil. If you're going on like um, uh, the 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 RPG categories or the whatever it is, you know, he's not like he's um, not like lawful good or chaotic good. It's almost like lawful evil. He's like so perfectly obeying every little thing. It's like. Yeah, maybe, maybe lawful evil isn't the best way to describe it because he really is he really is righteous but um but it's like it's it's hard to relate to this kind of righteousness, like this obsessive righteousness and this and this like perfect everything is so perfect for him. and you know even like the way that he makes these sacrifices just he makes the sacrifice for the counts out the exact number of his kids and makes out the exact number of sacrifices. and then at the end of the chapter, that exact number of his kids are all dead. None of it worked, you know. Uh, so it seems like it's really sets up this perfect situation and then it just smashes everything apart in just like a couple of verses.
1: You don't, you don't think it's possible. He was like, all right, I'm going to get the perfect number of flock and we're just going to have the perfect number of kids. And then we're just going to stop. That way everyone knows how perfect I am. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. That's probably what he did. <laughs> yeah. <it> was... <laughs> <laughs>
0: It was probably like, is it a girl or boy? Whew. Okay. All right. <laughs> we made we
1: made the cut. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Seven <laughs> and it's three, like, exactly.
1: Okay. Seven thousand <laughs> sheep. Not one more. Not one more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no. Also near the end, uh Pete ends brings this up. He's like when when it when it like restores his family and all that, it gives double his doubles kids or the same amount of kids and then doubles the livestock. And uh, Pete ends is just like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd still be upset about the first set of kids. Like, <laughs> yeah. Doesn't necessarily make up for it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's the same amount of kids. Yeah, everything else is double the same amount of kids. Although yeah. Ed Greenstein argues that it's um, that it's actually the same amount. That it's uh that it's not double. But uh but most, most people tend to think that it's double.
1: But not the kids. <laughs> same amount of kids. Boy, so why would that be the same? I mean, don't aren't the numbers like I I'll show it on the screen, but aren't they like literally double? Why would, uh, they, would they be the same? Yeah, the
0: word the word kaful is used, and okay. uh most people think that it, it does mean double. Um but uh, Greenstein has a, a an argument about that term, and I can't remember. Oh, okay. I can't remember off the cuff his argument. Uh Le Michene. So um yeah, it's not Kaful, which is which is double, it's Le Michene, which is which I think I think he's saying that it could be uh um like a second time instead of a double amount. Mm-hmm. I I think that that might be his argument. I, I'd have to double check, but yeah. Yeah, he says okay. that it was like a test, and then God just resets everything to how it was before the test. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the kids are
1: kids are gone. <laughs> it is, God is got new ones though, you know. <laughs> yeah, that'll work out. Huh? Um, <laughs> all right, yeah. So, uh, so on the topic of like, so there's there's some people that make arguments that Job is referencing or even like copying or trying to make it so. The Book of Job is written during the time of of Genesis. Can you talk about that and you know similarities and all that for us? Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, yeah, so this is like the Pentateuch. First of all, the Pentateuch is one of the most important books ever written in history. I um, mean, even today, you know, it's it's the most important book for several religions. And um, and so at the time of the uh, at the, at the and during the Persian period we all know it was super important. Some people say that the Pentateuch was starting to come together as a single book during the Persian period, uh, it, whether or not you, you think that the Pentateuch was written earlier or came together earlier or later, uh, it was still hugely important during the Persian period. And you remember Ezra and Nehemiah, Nehemiah stands up and reads it to the, all the people and they all are so moved by it. It's like this, you know, just has this big renaissance of the Pentateuch. It's this really important book during the Persian period, and so it's on everybody's minds. Um, there's also, you know, a lot of the, the the creation stories, all this stuff that that we already know are also floating around. Um, even like you know, Akkadian stories. The the Jewish people had had been in exile, so they picked. They learned a lot of these other uh, Mesopotamian stories. Uh, a lot of them were probably already floating around. Um, at the time you know it's very the the middle east was the the ancient near east was was really uh what do you call it where it's i guess a lot of international really international so you know they borrow a lot from each other's stories and stuff like that already but uh the persian period the Pentateuch became really really important people were thinking a lot about creation um the and was before i go on to wisdom literature i also want to say that um just the the importance of the pentateuch affects uh a lot of the writing so uh, if i'm in the 1950s and i watch a movie and there's a guy with a cowboy hat and a gun on his hip i know this is a western even if it's not historically accurate to the way the the western expansion was in 1800s america or whatever you know this there there become so many genre conventions it's influenced so many genre conventions and so with the pentateuch it you know, you read Job 1 and 2 and it really feels like you're at the time of Genesis 1 through 11. It, it feels like these genre conventions and Job's wealth is described like uh, in herds and flocks. He's a nomad. He's a shepherd. It's not described in property. It's not like doesn't talk about him and his neighbors in town. Uh, it seems like it's, it's kind of worded a lot like his his time in Genesis, uh, like, like the time in Genesis. So, um, it's set up like that, uh, I'm sorry, what's, oh, the original question is why do people, uh, associate it with Genesis? Um, so yeah, so the stories of Pentateuch were permeating the air and just Genesis in general is really important. And then, uh, also wisdom traditions, wisdom literature is, um, it had kind of grown into this, 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 I don't know if you want to say a movement or a school, but uh, the wisdom authors, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job, those are the representatives of Wisdom Lit in, in, in the Bible today. Um, the way that they approach uh, faith and the way that they approach religion is uh, very focused on creation and learning from the world around us, very philosophical and scientific. Um, there's not a lot of like when you read proverbs it's not like go ask the prophet what you should do or uh you know wait until you get a visit from an angel to find out you know what your what god's plan is for your life it's it's not like this kind of thing it's it's like uh we know from uh, from life in this world that this is the best path this is the best choice this is the best way to do it So, um, you know, two of those books are very skeptical. Proverbs also has some skepticism mixed into it that they're, they're like, you know, we're asking a lot of questions because we see so many limits on our knowledge, on our wisdom. And that's really how a lot of the creation traditions are in the book of Job is creation is so huge. It's so massive. And we're just a drop in the bucket in creation uh ecclesiastes is really big on this too but in job it's like uh you know and really god's the one running the show that god's the only one that that has privy to all this wisdom and um and we're just dropping the bucket in in creation so um so yeah so those are some ways that that job kind of sounds like like genesis and one thing that that I, i want to point out real quick. Um, is the differences between Job 1 and 2 and Genesis. And uh, one of my former professors, sorry, she points this out in in an article about Job and Abraham. She compares Job and Abraham, a lot of similarities, really thought-provoking similarities between Job and Abraham, uh, their wealth and their nomadic lifestyle and their tests. Um, But the big difference is divine interaction. And so at the beginning of Job, uh you know it seems like we're at this time of genesis and in genesis god is talking to people all the time everybody's having conversations with 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 god but job is like he's doing all these sacrifices and there's no interaction with god at all and that's a lot more similar to ezra nehemiah and esther some of the last books that are written where there's no very little inner like. specific divine interaction like that There, you know nobody's really having conversations with god in the same way that they are in genesis and in the rest of the Pentateuch. and so this uh this difference it's it's really important and this is something that that i talk about in my dissertation is that uh the book of job it really sets up uh this kind of this time period but with no no interaction with god and it really shows this kind of like this period in the Persian period, wisdom tradition, like trying to learn as much as we can from creation because, you know, we're really kind of uh, trying to figure life out right now without a lot of help, without a lot of, uh, you know, divine, without a lot of solid answers. And so Job is kind of set up like this. There's a huge difference even from Ezra and Nehemiah. And that is that Job gives us behind the scenes look at heaven, what's happening on the in the heavenly realm. And it's really unique in the Bible that there's, you know, all these humans, they're 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 not talking like, oh, let's check in with the prophet or let's, you know, there's no prophetic revelation. There's no direct divine revelation. Uh, there's, you know, Job's making these sacrifices just in case. He's trying to do the best he can with the knowledge that he has. And then behind the scenes, he's totally wrong. He can't protect his kids at all. You know, like, is, like his kids are dead. It has nothing to do with his sacrifice or not making a sacrifice. And so he, it's like there's all this stuff happening behind the scenes that he's oblivious to. And, and, re- and then when he starts talking, he's like, I got to talk to God. I got to hash this out with God because I'm righteous. God made a mistake here. I'm righteous. And the friends are like, oh, no way. You know, you must have sinned or whatever. And Job's like, if I did, like, I doesn't deserve this. Why is God punishing me like this? I got to talk to God. The friends are all so uncomfortable when he starts talking about talking to God. And they talk about even, I um, uh, can't remember the exact details, but Eliphaz, I think it's chapter 22, he talks about repenting and um, coming back to God, but never says it is in terms of a dialogue or a direct conversation with God or anything like that. Eliphaz avoids all that kind of language. Eliphaz is like, you know, who's going to talk to God? Eliphaz sees a vision and he's like, it's like this mysterious kind of in, in um, chapter four, he says this like this mysterious voice that I heard that, uh, what does he say? What are mortals to God? Like this just really generic kind of vision that he has, you know, and that's like the best we can do is like these dreams or and stuff, you know. And really it's Elihu is the only one that kind of affirms divine interaction that um, like you're, you're going to be able to see God face to face, like all this language when Elihu talks about, Facing God uh, uses a lot of divine interaction, but that's because it's been growing throughout the book, opens up no divine interaction. Friends are so uncomfortable when Job talks about speaking directly to God. And, you know, there's no hope of that ever happening. And then as the book progresses, Job is more and more vehement about, i got to talk directly to God. I want to hash all this out with God. I got to argue with God. And finally, there's direct divine revelation. There's a direct conversation with God. And uh, Job, Job does get to talk directly to God. And it, it kind of builds up until the end. And then at the end, when Job makes sacrifices for his kids, he's just hoping, you know, I, I, just in case it's in their hearts, like I, I, I got to try to protect them. But at the end of the book, Job makes, or the friends make sacrifices and Job prays for the friends. And there's guarantee up front. God talks to Job and says, or talks to the friends and says, Job's going to pray for you. And if Job does that, it's going to protect you. So they know specifically, very, very helpful having this kind of information up front. Oh, so if I do these things, then I will be protected from God's wrath. At the beginning, we don't have any guarantees. So there's kind of this buildup of divine revelation throughout the book. And that's different from Genesis, but it's also different from the later books this, uh, um, it, it kind of like merges the two together in a reverse way of the rest of the Bible, which starts off with a lot of heavy divine revelation and then moves into more prophetic revelation. <coughs> oh, sorry. And then, uh, and then you know, Esther, where God isn't even mentioned or some of the later books where there's very little direct divine revelation. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add there? So um, I i think i mentioned this earlier greenstein has a good uh article where he talks about um uh how to determine if if a text is referencing another text so um and and for him the main criteria is specificity so for for me i see a lot of similarities between the book of job and alice in wonderland they both have a frame tale they both are full of nonsense poetry they both coined a lot of nonsense words like between the frame tale. It's like normal life and normal life at the beginning and end. But in the middle, there's like there's all these debates with uh, with uh, antagonistic characters and then at the end, they go back to normal life. There's a a trial. Uh, The Queen of Hearts is is is, uh, overseeing a trial. Just like there's a trial of, of, you know, Job thinks that he's on trial. Uh, There's all these similarities with the Book of Job, but I don't think that Lewis Carroll was trying to make this sound like the book of Job or referencing the book of Job. So I point out a lot of similarities, but at at some point Alice had had a debate with a character named the Leviathan, or if, you know, at some point she says, naked, I came into this world and naked I shall go, you know, then I would be like, okay, Lewis Carroll is, is, is doing this because the book of Job does this. Uh, But I don't have any, any specificity to really nail it all down to and so uh i think that's a uh that's always a struggle for whenever you you want to say there's similarities here sometimes it's like you know these texts are in the air so the pentateuch is so important that you know uh, when when we use language that sounds like creation or when we use language that sounds like you know the 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 nomadic period it's going to sound like the pentateuch it's you know it's six of these genre conventions or whatever uh but there there are if we find specific ways we can kind of nail down a specific reference to Genesis. And so Michael Fishbane has a great article uh, about um, uh, arguing that Job 3 draws from Genesis 1 through 3. Um, And like you mentioned, he talks more about, uh, or he talks also about Jeremiah uh, 4, uh, referring to Genesis 1 1 and 2. And so uh, the Jeremiah article, he has a lot of specific words, uh, Hebrew words that are lined up. Uh, pretty specifically this kind of like undoing of the creation narrative, uh, with Job, he, 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 none of the very few of the words are the same, uh, in Hebrew that they are on the, in, like they are in, in Jeremiah, but I do think that Job three is using a lot of creation language. He talks about, uh, may the day that, that I was born be be in darkness and may not see light. It's like light and darkness, day and night, like all these kinds of words that sound like Genesis 1. And so, um, and then the, the the sea monsters wrestling with the, the sea, may the people that curse the sea monsters curse the day that I was born. Uh, it does seem like there's a lot of like creation language in, in this poem. And Job 3 is an incredible poem. A lot of people say it's the, one of the greatest poems ever written. It's just the words are so amazing. The word play is amazing. And just the, the way that it just the progression of it is really, it's, it's so tragic and beautiful. Um, and so um, it does seem like it is using a lot of creation language. One thing that fishbane points out is that um, when you're trying to invoke uh, something powerful, creation is going to come to mind that, uh, you know, he talks about how a lot of the, um, a lot of prayers, uh, you know, um, what we may call, what scholars may call incantations, things like that, even like magical incantations, a lot of those invoke creation language to the God of the universe. You have created all of humans uh you can definitely uh cure me from cancer or cure this toothache or whatever it is you know so there's a lot of the creation language invoked to to because creation is so powerful like if god creates the world god can do pretty much anything so uh so it seems like job is kind of using this creation language in 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 a similar way that god is so powerful and i want all this power all this power that was used to create to be used to destroy the day that i was born the night that i was conceived so it does seem like there is a lot of um i do see a lot of genesis influence in in job 3. i don't know that it's specifically following the days of creation i don't i don't know that i would that i would go that far but i do think that that the creation language is is intentional from job that it's you know the, the the night and the the day and the light and the darkness, the deep darkness and the gloom and the 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 um, sea monsters, all this stuff that's that's used from creation. Um, it seems like Job is invoking all of this language, and that's something that that is pretty heavy in the book. Actually, uh, the way that creation is used in the Book of Job is similar to the way. Uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes use use creation, which is uh, how vast it is, how big it is. We're a drop in the bucket, but Job goes a, a step beyond and focuses more on uh, so if that, if we're a drop in the bucket, then what does that say about God's power? That God is so much more powerful, so much more wise than us, and um. And for job that's 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 not always a good thing it's like i have no i don't have a fighting chance here because god is my legal opponent and i have no chance of beating this kind of wise powerful i can't god got a creature you know being this wise powerful being and so um in uh actually let me back up for a second in chapters uh one and in chapter one, I think there is a very specific reference to Genesis one. Um, and that is, uh, sorry, Genesis, Oh, is it one or two? Um, well, what is it? <laughs> Genesis three, sorry, Genesis three. Um, where Job says, uh, this goes back to Job being like super duper righteous, like hard to relate to him. It's like he loses everything, you know, and he's just kneels down falls down and worships and he says naked i came into this world and naked i shall return and uh in hebrew he says naked i shall return there but most people see this as like this is some kind of um you know he's not going back to his mother's womb uh you know like like nicodemus uh, kind of a thing is kind of like um definitely obviously talking about death you know like. I came naked and, you know, I've now I've lost everything and I'm going to die naked. And um, and then he, he blesses the name of, of Hashem, he blesses the name of the Lord. And uh, and so when he says that it sounds a lot to me, it sounds a lot like from dust, you came into dust, you shall return um, and dust is used a lot in the book of Job of mortality of kind of invoking this concept of death as imminent death, or even just how fragile we are. We're just made out of dust, you know? Um, And um, so uh, Job really invokes this as, as, look how fragile I am. And when uh, at the, uh, actually, I'll get to that in a second, because dust comes back again at the end of the book in a very important way. And that seems really similar to Genesis 18, actually. But um, so in chapter three, he invokes creation, you know, it's so huge. And I don't know if he talks about dust in chapter three. I don't see it here. But uh, in chapter seven, he talks about dust a lot. And um, just, again, this kind of creation language of just how I'm so, my life is just a breath. Like I'm just a drop in the bucket here. And, you know, I'm... uh, like I'm just gonna die. I'm gonna expire. I'm gonna cease to exist. I'm not gonna be part of creation anymore. And this is where he he says this uh, epic parody of Psalm eight, where um, Job says, like you know, like uh, I'm not gonna live forever. My life is just a breath. And and yeah, God has all of creation. And what are human beings? That like God is so mindful of us, little old human beings. And the psalmist is like, you know, and God still loves us. And Job's like, couldn't you just leave us alone once in a while? Like, why do you always have to look for some little sin that we do? Why do you have to care so much about what we're doing down here when you've got all of creation to think about? And so Job, in Job, creation is always like so huge, so big, so vast. And God is just so wise chapter nine is all about how god created all these things the constellations and the mountains and all this creation you know and and this is who i've got to go up against in court and so he's you know it's like all this stuff that creation language in the psalms is like this beautiful amazing thing for job he's complaining about it he's like i can't compete against this you know And so, um, and yeah, chapter nine, he's like, I can't even find a judge that can stand up against God, like nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna take this case. And then, um, uh, and chapter 10, this is chapter 10 is one of my favorite chapters. And he invokes a lot of creation language and a lot of um, uh, He looks at God and, 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 and he says, you know, you created me like you fashioned me together. You put together like all the, the sinews in my body and all of the, the ligaments, and, and for no other reason than taking care of your handiwork. Wouldn't you just please not destroy me? Like, why would you put so much effort into creating this a human into making the fashioning together this handiwork just to destroy it? And, and Job really has this this plea, and again, ends in darkness. So many of his poems, he ends in darkness or ends in his breath uh, going out of him and ceasing to exist. He's like, "I you know, there's nothing for me after this." And chapter twelve, he invokes creation. Uh, again, talking about wisdom, God's wisdom. Uh, chapter 12, there's a famous uh, satirical hymn. Job sings this hymn of God's wisdom. and a lot of it is God's creation. God has in, in chapter 12 um, where does it usually start I think it's verse 12 where they usually start oh chapter verse yeah 12 or 13 sorry, uh, uh, 13 where God has wisdom and might and counsel and understanding tears down none you're going to rebuild all this stuff about how powerful God is and uh, and you know and Job says you, even the, the leaders of the world are under God's control. That's why all these stupid leaders are wandering around in darkness. It's like a bunch of drunkards are leading the world. You ever notice that? That's because God's really running the show. Like God just enjoys this monopoly on wisdom while the rest of us are just trying to flounder around, see what we can do down here. So there's all this kind of creation language throughout the book. And Job is really... I think we we tend to think that Job is just stays the way that he is in the prologue, where Job's super duper righteous, and so we accept good from God and not evil? Um, but really, in the end, uh, starting in chapter three, Job is starts saying challenging everything. Like, man, I, this is not right. Like, I didn't sin. Why is God punishing me? And um, and so Job really starts arguing hard uh, against God. And, you know, saying that, like, God is not just Job says specifically, God is not just uh, in, uh, where is it in chapter 20? 20, um, chapter 27. Uh, yeah, God has God his perverted justice. Um, there's uh, a lot of places where Job just says God is not just and I want a fair trial. Um, and so Job really challenges God. And at the end of the book. Um, Job is blessed for, uh, Job's blessed for the way that he spoke about God. And that goes back to this word, uh, in Hebrew, um, where I think most English translations say you have not spoken right about me, like my servant Job has, or you have not spoken, uh truth like my servant Job has. But, um, Ed Greenstein argues and, and, and I follow him on this, that, a better translation is honestly. This word is only used one other time in the Bible in, in this exact form. And again, Job likes to play with, with the forms of words. So Nahon is the usual form, and Nahon is like something that you can trust. Um, and it's used of it's used of both truth and true, maybe. Um, but Nahonah is the word used in Job 42. And the only other place it occurs is in Psalm 5, which talks about people that have a flattering tongue that you can't trust. And so those people are not honest. And they're also, it's, uh, um, I think if I remember right, it's also a forensic context. It's, um, uh, anyway, yeah, they're they're deceptive. You can't trust them. And so God says, Job spoke to me in a trustworthy way. Not necessarily that everything that he said is true, because clearly some of the stuff that he said about God is, is hard to swallow. And, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody would say that everything Job said is, like, 100% accurate about God. Like, a, a lot of what he says is, uh, man, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, but um, but he did speak honestly, and he really challenged God, you know, like, when when he felt like I was unfair, he said it out loud. And the friends are all trying to, uh, okay, no, 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 shh, shh, shh. quiet, Job. Uh, you didn't really mean it. I'm sure you didn't mean that God is unjust, Job, you know? So the friends are all trying to just flatter God and just, you know, let's just stick with the, you know, we learned in bio in Sunday school that God is just. So I'm sure that's how it is, Job. Uh, you know, they're trying to shut him up, get him to keep flattering God and and whatever. And really the test that Job is in is whether or not he's honest. Is he making sacrifices just to please God? well satan says well he's gonna curse god right away but what ends up happening is job speaks honestly through the whole book and job says at the end like god blesses job for being honest like clearly a man who can say all this stuff about god is not going to just try to please god he's clearly not trying to and interested in just flattering god and just trying to get favors from god at this point he's like man you know god's not just guns you know i oh, went off on god and god's like okay this is a man that i can trust like when he makes sacrifice the next time all right all right i know you're not just trying to get some favors from me here and um whereas the friends clearly all they want to do is get favors from god and so uh maybe i want to have that framework in mind as we look at some of these because you know when i talk about Job complaining about god having so much too much wisdom and uh, Job is really just speaking really raw. You know, he's not just, he's not trying to fashion together this eloquent theology necessarily. He's just kind of going with his gut on a lot of this. Uh, but it comes out in very eloquent, beautiful poetry. Uh, thanks to, uh, thanks to the, the, the poets. So anyway, so this is kind of how Job uses creation is to show God's wisdom and God's might and how it's too much for me. And then God, when God speaks, and even Elihu too, uh, Elihu invokes creation. Actually, the way Elihu uses creation, he uses the same words as Job did in chapter 10, saying, I too have been formed from the clay, just like you, Job. Like, I'm also a human just like you. I'm in the same boat as you. And you can talk to me Instead instead of having to face this scary God. You can talk to me. And Elihu really wants to be a mediator for Job. And uses creation in the way that Job does in 10 to say we're both just little humans here on, on this planet. And then when God uses creation, God uses it similar to the way Job did. That I've created so much stuff. You have no idea what's going on. I'm up here running the world, Job. Or sorry, the way God talks is like, gosh, of course, Job. I'm running the world. What do you think you're doing? So this is just uh, scholars have determined that's how God talks in the book of Job. Uh, so yeah, so that's how how God talks, he uses creation very similar to how Job does. In fact, like God brings in the chaos monster, uh, Leviathan, you know. Uh, you know, like there's I wrestled with the sea, is the sea serpent is basically my little rubber ducky, you know. Like, why, well, you know, what you think you could stand up to Leviathan, Job? No, you can't. And Job's like, yeah, that's what I said the whole time. I've been saying this the whole time. Yeah, thanks for telling me all this and um uh you know so in chapter 42 it says, i know you can do whatever you want that no purpose of yours can be thwarted um but now i see you and they have a a, a relationship that is totally different than it was at the beginning of the book sorry i kind of got off a little bit from creation but there's a couple of uh, there's another specific genesis reference that i want to talk about um the one is, is naked. I came naked. I shall return. And the way that dust is used and throughout the book, Job keeps saying, I'm going back to dust. I'm going to lay down in the dust and I'll never get up again. Uh, you know, that's it. Like, I wish I could just die in the dust and then God can't find me anymore. Um, and so at the end of the book, he says, um, I, uh, yeah, it must be uh, probably there's a lot of debate about what these words mean. Um, the author of Job really likes to take words that mean one thing, but also mean the opposite thing. So if I if I sanction you to do something, you're allowed to do it. If I put sanctions on you, you're not allowed to do it. And a clever poet will play with this. So you're like, I don't know. I don't, it could mean the opposite here. So at the end of the book, Job says, uh, um, I'm fed up. I'm sick of all this. Uh, and, I, and I repent. But the word repent could also be uh, I'm comforted and the word uh i um i'm fed up is a lot of scholars interpret that as i reject like i maybe i reject myself or i reject dust and ashes or something like that so is job repenting or is he just sick of all this crap and so at the end of the book you really are kind of left with is job still angry or is job sorry that he was so angry and and they're really like everyone has interpreted it so many different ways throughout history there's been so many interpretations of this and so at the end he says i i you know i'm i, I must be in the company, uh, in dust and ashes or i uh, i must be the company. i'm consoled uh, among dust and ashes and this term dust and ashes is used uh, three times in the bible one is in chapter 30 of job Uh, where Job is like, I'm just dust and ashes over here trying to deal with all this, you know. And then the other is in Genesis 18, where Abraham is trying to argue with God. And this is something that Sariafet points out in in her article about Abraham and Job, is that uh, Job or Abraham is so silent during his test where he sacrifices Isaac. It's hard to relate to Abraham. Like he's just so silent and obedient we don't know what's going on in his mind like like how is he doing this you know and why like even why is he doing that and even you know it's even a lot of us even ask ethical questions is it okay for abraham to just do this unquestioningly and then the question of why would abraham fight so hard against uh punishing sodom and gomorrah and then just silently go and sacrifice his kid you know like these are our our big questions that we ask of of abraham and so in in chapter 18 is where abraham is so vocal and so like no 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 let's negotiate here let's fight this out let's really talk this out with god and you know argue oh ah, what if we find like just you know one righteous donkey then are you gonna save sodom and Gomorrah? and god's like. (laughs) Sure, go find me a righteous donkey. Let's, let's do it. You can't even find a, nothing that's righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, um, and so this is where Abraham at the end is like, man, I debated the almighty God when I'm nothing but dust and ash. And so this at the end when Job is like, man, I, I, I reject and repent or I'm fed up, and I, but I'm consoled as dust and ash. He really, he says, you know, I'm nothing but dust and ash, like the, the maybe the human condition or just the fact that I'm dust and ash. And maybe even, I think also maybe invoking the literal dust and ash that Job is covered in dust and ash as a mourner. But, but he says, like, I've debated against God here. I've gone face to face in a debate with God, even though I'm dust and ash. I, and now my eye sees you uh very similar to Abraham arguing with God and one other mention of genesis in the same in the same poem the first thing job says is now i know that you can do whatever you want and no plot of yours can be thwarted no scheme of yours can be thwarted that is almost word for word what god says in genesis 11:6 of of 11:6 almost word for word what god says of in of sorry Almost word for word, what God says of the the humans building the Tower of Babel in Genesis eleven six, that oh look at this these guys are building a tower up into heaven. No, now what are they whatever they want to do, nothing is impossible for them. No scheme of theirs can be thwarted. And so Job is kind of like reversing this back. You actually have all the cards, God. You know, like you've got. You've got all the cards, like humans. We can't even build a tower to heaven without you stopping us. We can't do anything without you stopping us. You're in control of all the heavens and the earth, just like you've been. You've been telling me for the past two speeches. And he says, "You know, like I have no counsel, no wisdom. Uh, God has a monopoly on wisdom. Uh, But my eye did see you, even though I'm dust and ash." Like I still kind of got to got to see God and and have this face to face conversation with God, and it is a conversation. It's not just uh, the Lord speaking at Job. It, Job responds twice, even though Job can't talk a whole lot. Job responds twice and has this conversation back at God. And so again, this dust and ashes invokes some of the same thing that he says at the beginning: "Naked I came, naked I shall return." Uh, we're just dust and ash in drops in the bucket of creation god is all powerful god has created all this stuff like what can we expect to get from god and at the end he gets a, a direct audience with god a very intimate audience with god and says even though i'm just dust and ash here even though i'm just a drop in the bucket of creation god stopped everything and paid attention to me to have this conversation." Uh, so it's very significant and, and again, invoking, invoking creation language, invoking Genesis, a very specific part of Genesis.
1: Sorry to talk Uh, so much. Yeah, no worries. That's, that's very fascinating because on the one hand, like Genesis one is obviously about, um, well, I guess, you know, you have different interpretations and all that, but typically what we focus on isn't like, oh, how great God is. And. And then Job is using like almost a different perspective of how we typically look at Genesis, and um, so it's very fascinating. Um, That's true. So, it's it's so mm-hmm. intimate
0: in in uh, especially in Genesis two. It's it's very intimate, like the creation story. And for Job, yeah. it's like you know, I'm. It's it's so huge. got is so
1: transcendent. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, on one hand, it's like. Like, sure, it is showing how great God is, but it never specifically like, oh, God is so great to do this. Like, obviously, you know, Adam and Eve aren't saying anything about that. Um, yeah. doing The opposite. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, shoot, let's see. So my first thought when you said that uh, Job is using... Um, Genesis language, but never really only quotes from it just a little bit. Originally, you you said that, you know, the specific part, they weren't weren't quoting from it, from it, but just the idea of it, my my first thought was like, okay, maybe he's referencing like a a different creation or like a common idea in their culture instead of the actual text. But then you said that, um, you know, pretty closely or or directly quotes from Genesis 11. So um, do you have any thoughts on like, is there, is it, would you say that it's, it's like just the idea of Genesis and maybe he's not actually looking at the text of Genesis one or something like that? Or do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, and, I, and thank you. For, Cause I don't wanna, I don't wanna contradict myself. I think
0: that uh, overall in the book, um, there's a lot of creation language and even some of it Like some of the chaos monster stuff, it seems more like Enuma Elish and the epic battle with the sea monster than it is from Genesis that, um, you know, it's it's kind of like invoking all these legends and these kinds of like uh, um, general creation ideas to really show God's power. And, you know, not saying that, that Job quotes Enuma Elish as scripture or anything, but, or, or even that, that Job is trying to say that this is how creation came about. Was God wrestling with the sea monster? It really is just kind of invoking this imagery uh, this creation imagery of God's power, which, uh, the Enuma Elish legend of creation, uh, seems to, um, seems to emphasize the power of, of the God, the creator God, um, maybe more than whereas Genesis emphasizes intimacy of God a little bit more and preparing the land for man or whatever for for preparing the land for humans or whatever it may be um it seems like enuma elish legends some of the other uh ancient near eastern stories of creation do emphasize the power and transcendence of god so um so that's uh that's maybe one thing too where there's some more generic creation language that, that job uses um but the book of Job and also uh, Job takes place in a land far away. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of these, a lot of the way that it's written is really trying to make Job sound like um, he's not from around. Like we're all Israelites. The author is clearly an Israelite or or someone who believes in the same God as, as Israel um, and, you know, uses the name of God um, throughout the book. Not when people talk, though. When people talk, they call God Aloha uh, that they don't call God by the name of God, by the Hebrew name of God. And so, uh, but the author does and the narrator, uses the name of God all the time. And so, um, so they you know, it's really trying to set everything outside of Israel as much as possible, but written for an Israeli audience or Israelite audience. So, um, so when, when all these other legends are invoked, it also kind of helps add to this foreign element. Like, Oh, this is this is what they say over there you know this is how creation happened uh, over there is this epic battle with the chaos monster and and stuff like that and, and everybody kind of knows that legend in at this time you know the Psalms invoke the the chaos monster battle with with God a few places and stuff so uh, there is a lot of where places where it's generally kind of invoking creation stories or invoking um, maybe even the the language of Genesis Um But then there are a couple of places where I do think it is specifically referencing Genesis. And I I do think that uh, just the words are very specific in 42.2, where Job says, I know that no scheme of yours can be thwarted. It's very, very, very close to the way God says this of the Tower of Babel. And then Dustin Nash is, is used only a couple of places in the Bible, only three places in the Bible, two are by Job. And the other one is Abraham right after he argues with God. And I think that that also is is a a reference, direct reference to Genesis. And "naked I came, naked I shall return." Maybe that was more of a general phrase or something, but I haven't seen it anywhere else in the ancient Near East. Um, uh, maybe maybe I just I just can't think of a, a spot right now. But I can't think of a place in the Bible either where it's uh, I came from and I'm going to talking about life and death. It seems like it's Genesis and. Um, and Job are the really the only two places that I can think of. At least I think maybe, um, Second Temple, there uh, Ben Sira says something like that, I can't remember, but so it seems like those seem like they're they're pretty pretty specific connections to Genesis itself
1: to me, yeah. Um, well, also, um, I wanted to add that you know, to dust your dust, you are dust, you shall return, naked, you are naked, you shall return. But of course, the whole Adam and Eve narrative has, um, you know, them being born naked, or being born—I mean, they weren't exactly born, created, whatever—they're created naked and then God clothes them later. Do um, so you think maybe like it's like combining the themes there, or maybe just like a cultural uh, idea of just language and all that? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, that's really really observant.
0: Um because even them being naked is such a important part of the story uh, and the shame that they feel Um, that probably is really intentional from Job, really trying to draw, not just uh, that I'm dust, but also that um, like this nakedness that I have, like the emptiness, like I have nothing now. Like I'm uh, I don't know if it's the dependence on God or if it's um, shame or, what it might be specifically off, off the top of my head, but there is a, um, but I, 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 I would guess that you're right, that, that it is very specific that to change it from dust to naked, it probably is also influenced by the Genesis story that um, they want it. Like the Job wants to invoke more than just life and death, but something a little bit uh, heavier from that, maybe shame, or maybe just the, the emptiness that I, you know, I've lost everything.
1: Yeah, I, of course, in the Genesis narrative, like, there's definitely a shame aspect, but it's not the, the main thing. Um, of course, in Job, it's, it's, it's a huge part of yeah. all that's going on. Um, yeah, so um, any, anything else you wanted to add there? Um, that's all my questions I have for you. Um. Yeah, I feel like I probably uh,
0: talked too much about everything. I'm sorry. You're probably gonna have a big. Uh, um, it's probably gonna be really tough to edit. <laughs> no, I'll no, no. This will be fine. All my rambling, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think the 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 Book of Job is just such a such a beautiful book, and it's so, and it really kind of lets us. It says. It, it says, I know that. It's hard to believe like the, the author of Job or the authors of Job, they're like, I know it's hard to believe in God sometimes. I know that you suffer sometimes. I know that sometimes you just want to yell and scream and it's okay. Like we're all like this. This is part of being human. Like this is part of being dust and ash. Uh, but at the same time, God is still listening, you know and and your god blesses us for being honest instead of always just trying to pretend like everything's okay when it's not and the use of genesis the use of creation it really invokes this transcendent nature of god that and then kind of pulls the rug out from under it uh, at the end where god is suddenly so imminent and so intimate with us that uh we share that not only at the beginning job's being tested for his honesty is is he really doing this because he loves god or is he doing this because he wants to get favors from god and then at the end god is also honest with Job. that that they have this this intimacy together where they just openly share themselves with each other and um and they share this 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 relationship and throughout the history of interpretation both christians and jews talk about how intimate this relationship is and it's often compared with Moses a lot of uh, historic medieval interpreters said that Job was even closer to God than Moses that Moses talked face to face with God as a friend uh, but Job talked even more face to face with God uh, and Job was even more intimate with God than Moses and others there you know there's a debate you know people say that Moses is more intimate or whatever but but the, that's a very common comparison is Moses and Job uh, with this intimacy that they had with God. Um, and even like uh, John Chrysostom, the, the the Christian preacher from, uh, I believe he's 2nd uh, or 3rd third, uh, third or 4th century um, uh, CE, he says that um, he describes it at the beginning when God starts talking, he says God scooted up the divine throne And then lean down to talk to Job, almost like Santa Claus or something. It's like, uh, like just the intimacy that, that most interpreters see that it comes through this, this storm wind, and it seems so transcendent again, it seems so transcendent, but the way that, that it's written, it, it really, it ends up in this very personal moment between Job and, and, and the Lord. So, um. So anyway, I think uh, a big part of using this creation language is, is really showing God's transcendence. But then it kind of goes back to, I guess, like the, the Genesis 2 way of saying it, of this intimacy of God and God's creation. Um, that, you know, Job's like, you fashioned me together just to destroy me. And at the end, Job, God has really paid a lot of attention to Job. Um, that, you know, God isn't just kind of willy-nilly, well, it depends on your interpretation of of Job's suffering, uh, whether or not it's willy nilly, it's just some bet with Satan, or if it's <laughs> whatever. But um, but it, it is at the end. It is very intimate between between God and Job, and and the way the creation language is kind of like the, the rug is pulled out from under the creation language. So I'm starting to repeat myself now. <laughs>
1: you're you're muted again all right awesome well I appreciate you coming on thank you so much Ryan Uh, I really encourage other people to check out your channel which will be in the description Um, is there anything else that uh, you want to get people connected with Um, you have an Instagram with all your uh, break dancing I know that um, got anything else for us <laughs> yeah I um
0: uh yeah that's the that's the other side of my life is uh b-boy loose goose and um yeah I'm a uh, uh, member of Dynamic Rockers breaking crew um so yeah if you want to see me see me dance you can search up b-boy loose goose and yeah my um uh Bible and culture with Dr Armstrong is the the channel that I'm starting to grow I'm gonna take a short hiatus and build up some content and then come back hopefully um september uh, i'll come back with uh steady consistent content that's a a real goal of mine i really want to talk about my scholarship and 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 just talk about the bible you know create my own curriculum um so looking forward to that so yeah check out my my, my youtube channel please bible and culture with dr armstrong and hopefully in two years you
1: can buy my book <laughs> there you go <laughs> i'll be first on the list <laughs> thank you <laughs> appreciate it all right uh appreciate you coming on again and um yeah hope you have a great rest of your day thanks ron
0: uh, thank you so much zatch and uh, great channel thank you for all that you're doing with this channel uh really appreciate <laughs> the way that you're bringing in so many so many interesting and important topics and bring it to a, a a thinking audience which
1: is important Appreciate it. Awesome. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Have a good Thank one, you Ryan. so much. You too. Take care.